everyone this evening. If you are a guest with us tonight, we welcome you. We're so glad to have you in service with us this Sunday evening. To those that are joining us online, we, we welcome you as well. Pray you're blessed by what the Spirit of the Lord does here, wherever you may be. And I just want to I just want to say this. I, I I think I've kind of said it already, but um, I I just want to say how much I appreciate the example that brother and sister Favors have set. Uh, the last I guess it's about eight months, basically close to that seven eight months. It would it would be very easy in the flesh for them to have sat here for all that time just pouting and upset with God. But they haven't done that. They've plugged in. They've worshipped. They've ministered. Brother Favors has taught some Bible studies. And I, I, I appreciate that. I think that says a lot about them. I, 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 I don't do well with preachers that the only time they do something is when they're in the pulpit. If when you're not in the pulpit, you're a like a wart on a finger, you you got something wrong. And uh, I I just I, I'm they're not they didn't ask for this and probably would rather me not doing it. But the Bible says, "Give honor to whom honor is due." And I just I have personally I have personally been challenged by them these last several months. Um, their attitude and their spirit, and I'm sure they've had their down times, and as any other human being does, but but they have exemplified trust and faith and confidence in God, and, and I appreciate that. And those of you that are striving for ministry, I hope you notice that example and follow that example. Praise God. I feel like tonight may be a little bit more like a Thursday than a than a Sunday night, and I haven't preached in almost a month, and I'd love to just throw down and preach, but I, I don't know that that's going to happen. I just I've got something that's just been kind of gnawing at me for a couple of days here, and so I'm just going to share it. We'll have to see whatever happens happens, but. I want to read one verse to you before you're seated. That's from Psalms 40, the 40th Psalm and verse number 11. Psalms 40, verse number 11. And David says, Withhold not thou thy tender mercies from me, O Lord. I think we all could say amen to that. This last part of this verse is what I want to draw your attention to. Let thy loving kindness and thy truth continually preserve me. Let your loving kindness and your truth continually preserve me. Father, thank you for your presence that is in this place Thank you for the privilege and the opportunity to join together once again and worship with people of like precious faith. Thank you for your spirit flowing, ministering in this place. Thank you for needs that you've met, lives you've touched. 
God, I pray that now you would continue to minister and you would speak to us through your word. I pray that your spirit would speak, that you would allow me to be a conduit through which you can speak, Lord. Let our hearts be good ground for the seed of your word tonight. I trust you for your anointing. I depend on you tonight. I acknowledge again, Lord, that without you I can do nothing. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Adam Clark says, with regards to this and thy truth statement, truth is what is revealed in thy word. Continually preserve me. Mercy to help me, truth to direct me, and by the operation of both, I shall be continually preserved from sin and evil. You read this verse, you read the second half of this verse, it, I think, appears that the psalmist is saying that loving kindness and truth continually preserve me. He's saying that that both of those things are what preserve him. But I want to I want to just kind of focus your attention on that second one there this evening of of truth. I don't think that what he's saying here that it that he's saying truth alone continually preserves me. But that's that's the part I want to draw your attention to, that it is truth that preserves. I suppose there has always been an attack on truth. I think throughout all of time there's been an attack on truth. Throughout all of Scripture you can find various ways in which there have been attacks on Scripture. The The Bible says there's nothing new under the sun. He wasn't talking about technology. He wasn't talking about transportation. He was was talking about as as human beings, our nature, our character, our makeup. I don't know if there's a newer version out yet or not, but my current iPhone is the iPhone 14. That means there's been 14 models of the iPhone. And every iPhone has had numerous software updates. Improving what they are doing. But you know what? There is no such thing as a human 2.0. The same way God created the first human is the same way He continues to create human beings. The same God made in the same image of the same God. None of that has changed. Culture may change. Society may change. The the influences that we are bombarded with may change. but, But as human beings we are still made the same way God has been making human beings for thousands of years. But while there is nothing new under the sun, I do believe there are some times in which there are different things that that they are intensified. They are amped up. And I believe that you and I have 
been living for a little while now in a time in which the, 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 the attack on truth has been amped up. There's a lot of people that believe there is no such thing as absolutes when it comes to truth. It's your truth and it's my truth. You have the right to decide your truth and I have the right to decide my truth. If you believe the Bible, I don't see how you could ever say that because Jesus himself didn't give you the option to have your truth. Jesus did not say, I am a way. Pick me if you want to pick me, otherwise go another way. He did not say, I am a truth and a life. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. That means outside of Him there is no other truth. And the Bible says, Thy word is truth. Anything that's truth has got to measure up. It's got to stand the test of being judged by this book. We don't judge this book by everything else. And so the psalmist says it's, it's truth that continually preserves me. I could say it this way. It's the truth that continually preserves me. The word preserve according to Brown's driver, Brown Driver and Briggs Hebrew lexicon means to guard, to watch, to watch over, to keep, to preserve, to guard from dangers, to, to guard with fidelity, to, to be close, to be blockaded. It is truth that protects me. It is truth that preserves me. If it's truth that protects me, preserves me, blockades me, guards me, is it any wonder the enemy wants to, 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 to attack and try to tear away from truth? Because if he can get you to eliminate truth, he gets you to eliminate what preserves you. I did a quick look today. many genders are there? I didn't do this because I didn't know. Make that clear. I, I, I did a quick Google search. How many genders are there? According to Google, not the Bible, according to Google, I found this. Four, 57, seven. 72, 81, the highest I saw, there may be something, the highest I noticed was 112. This, this says male, female. The world says they can't agree. And we're the ones that there's something wrong with. We're, we're the ones that have lost. They're the ones that can't agree. We're the ones that say truth says male and female created he them. 
And he decided what you were. But, but the wisdom of man says 457, 81, 112. How have we gotten to where we are? How are we in a society that can't agree on how many genders there are? How did we get here? We got here because some people were willing to compromise what preserved them. And when you compromise what preserves you, you do not determine the ultimate outcome of that. Gilbert Keith Chesterton was an English writer, philosopher, Christian apologist, a literary and an art critic. He is accredited with making this statement or some form of this statement. Do not remove a fence until you know why it was put up in the first place. Chesterton went on to explain why this principle holds true, writing that fences don't grow out of the ground. Nor do people build them in their sleep or during a fit of madness. He explained that fences are built by people who carefully planned them out and had some reason for thinking the fence would be a good thing for somebody. Until we establish that reason, we have no business taking an axe to it. The reason might not be a good one, a good or relevant one, we just need to be aware of what the reason is. Otherwise, we may end up with unintended consequences. Second and third order effects we don't want, spreading like ripples on a pond and causing damage for years. This is referred to as second order thinking. It's the practice of not just considering the consequences of our decision, but also the consequences of those consequences. Few, if any, people that get divorced consider the consequences of the consequences. I love that statement. Fences don't grow out of the ground. So don't go taking down a fence if you don't understand why it was there. Because you have no idea what the ultimate impact of taking down that fence might be. I am, I am, it's nothing new, I've said it in various ways, numerous times already, but I am just getting more and more weary, more and more irritated, more and more angered by all of the need to defend what we as apostolics teach, preach, and believe. Two apostolics. Well, if that's really true, show me why. Otherwise, I got my axe and I'm ready to start taking down some fences. We, uh, Sister Tyler, I don't know if you were listening this morning. If not, I, I got you covered tonight. 
Sister Tyler, one of the ones that talks about me getting inspiration on vacation for messages, and I got some today. Friday, or not Friday, Thursday. Second part of our week, the couples had come back home, and we were in Rochester, and I didn't know it until about a day or two before going to Rochester, but Rochester, New York is the headquarters, the home of Kodak. George Eastman, the founder of Kodak, was in, lived in Rochester. And they've, they've, turned, they've turned what was his house into a, into a museum. And uh, as I said this morning, house being probably similar to the square footage of this building, upstairs and downstairs. So mansion would be more appropriate for you to think of the context of the size. As we were walking throughout the house and some displays and stuff, there was, there was one room in which they had some films being shown, some home videos, if you will, that were taken somewhere late 1800s, early 1900s. And I sat down and I, I began to watch them. And as I began to watch them, I, I started to, my, my, my preacher brain started. Do me a favor, media, and just just kind of slowly scroll through a couple of these or these are pictures that I took of the video that was being played and as I'm sitting there and watching these videos this video scroll through anybody anybody notice anything about I didn't notice anything about these they're playing baseball They're playing baseball. They're out playing baseball. And there's not a lady in this room tonight that is dressed more modest than they are out playing baseball. There's not a guy in the room tonight who's dressed up any more than them playing baseball. What, what we had people now arguing, arguing over whether or not it's really necessary. There was a point at which society, not apostolics. Thank you, that's good. Not apostolics. Not, not conservative Christians. Society understood There's a difference between men and women. And there's a difference between how men and women should dress. And modesty should be a part of that dress. And now today we're having to convince people that as apostolics we dress different. 
And as apostolics, women should look like women and men should look like men. That's what apostolics do. How did we get to where we are with 57, 112, ever how many other genders? Somebody started taking some axes to some fence posts. Is the air conditioning broken? Wow, is it just that hot? Somebody decided. We don't need distinctions and differences. And now we're living, you say, come on, pastor, you think that? Yeah, I think that's part of how we got here. Because we started moving some fence posts, posts, not posts, posts that were truth, that were preserving some things. And when you get rid of what preserves you, you don't determine the extent of the consequences. I've come to preach to some people tonight that you better be careful the truth that you're messing with in your life. Because when you decide that truth is not truth or it's not a necessary part of truth, you also decide to let down some of the guard of what preserves you. Man, the debates that go on, and, and, and I wish it was just in the world, but it's not the world. And I wish it was just in Christianity, but it's not just in Christianity. It's now in our ranks as apostolics. Well, I don't like where that fence is. Who asked you? Chances are somebody that was a little more objective than you decided this is a good place to put some protection. Not a prison, protection. Your truth continually preserves me. How how do we get here? Because we got here because... Because we convinced God, leave us alone. I think I preached it several Sunday mornings ago, if I'm not mistaken. Romans chapter 1. If you you don't understand how we got to where we are in this world and in this nation in particular, just read Romans chapter 1. We convinced God, leave us alone. Free our consciences from condemnation and conviction. Don't let us feel guilty over what we do that violates your word. Finally, God says, if that's the way you want it, I'm going to give you what you want, but you don't understand this has been preserving you. This has been protecting you. This has been keeping you. You know what is amazing to me? I've never one time heard somebody who was becoming more dedicated and more consecrated in their walk with God be the ones that are arguing over what's necessary and what's not. Show me somebody that wants to argue about do we does it matter how we dress does it matter what we do does it matter what we drink does it matter how we live I will show you somebody that is headed in the wrong direction. I taught it a while ago, I think on a Thursday night. Your direction is more important than your position.
Because if, you're, if your position is you're close to God, but your direction is you're heading away, you're in way more danger than the person that is far off from God, but their direction is they're moving towards God. Be careful who you measure yourself by. Come here, Julian. You got the hot seat, man. You have to change seats or otherwise just accept that it's a part of sitting there. If, 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 that's, if that's the God direction... If that's the moving toward God direction, and that's the moving away, I might be standing here going, well, you know, boy, I, I do these things better than he does. I'm, I'm a little more committed than him as I pass by and continue moving in the wrong direction. Show me somebody that's arguing about whether or not holiness matters, separation matters. And I guarantee you, I will show you somebody who is heading in the wrong direction. I said it this morning. I'll say it again tonight, even though I don't believe it. Maybe one day, maybe one day before Jesus comes, I'll get to preach a fun, exciting message on a holiday weekend. Probably won't happen, but I'll still hold out hope. Truth preserves you. You ever? I'm I'm not here tonight. God knows. I, you you can judge me if you want to. Ultimately, there's only one judge that matters the most. Only one judge that matters, and that's Him. I'm not here tonight to try to be judgmental. I'm not here to, I I, I hope if anything you can hear and feel a pastor's heart tonight. (laughs) All you got to do is just give it time and watch as those who have argued and, and, and debated that things they used to believe aren't necessary anymore. Almost without fail, it's only a matter of time before immorality, some kind of sin issue, shows up. You better not be judging by what you see on Facebook, Instagram. Everybody's spiritual on Facebook. When you move the the fence of truth, that is what preserves you, you do not decide the consequences. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. And then shall that wicked be revealed. Whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. Even him whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders. That, 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 that's another thing. You got to be careful. You don't judge by miracles. You don't judge by the move of the spirit. You judge by truth. 
I've preached this, I've taught this many times, but it's been a while, so I'll say it again tonight. Jacob is in the process. His dad is dying. His mom comes to him, schemes with him. You got to get the blessing, Jacob. Otherwise, Esau's going to get it. He said, I, I can't do that. My brother and I, we're, we're different. The Bible says that they, they schemed up together, and, and, and Esau was hairy. His arms were hairy, and, 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 and he goes in. He puts, I don't know, sheepskin. I don't remember it says specifically, but he puts something on his arms, and he, and he goes in to, to Isaac, whose eyes don't work well anymore. And he asks for the blessing. And Isaac says, the, the voice. The voice is Jacob's voice. But he reaches out and touches the arms. And he says, the arms feel like Esau. The voice is Jacob's. The feeling feels like Esau. And he chose to give the blessing based on what he felt, not based on what he heard. Jesus did not say, My sheep know my feeling. He said, my sheep know my voice. We don't measure by a feeling. We don't measure by goosebumps. We don't measure by emotion. We measure by the word. Jacob stole the blessing Because his father chose to act on feeling rather than on the voice. I've been, my, 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 uh, part of my latest morning devotion time, I, I, I finished the New Testament and so I've been going between us Psalms and then some other books in the Old Testament. And it, it has been amazing to me. In, in reading through the Psalms and reading a couple of chapters a day, it has been amazing to me watching the roller coaster that David rides. Let me tell you something. If the enemy ever gets on your shoulder condemning you for moments of doubt or fear, just go read some Psalms. No, not 23. You know that one. Go read some of the other Psalms where one verse, he's, God, where are you? God, you've, you've forsaken me. You've abandoned me. And a couple of verses later, God, you're fighting for me. God, you're on my side. What in the world? I, I, that, that's been one of the things that has blessed me the most the last several weeks reading through the Psalms. Like, man. I know that same roller coaster. 
You said, I believe. You said, it is done until tomorrow morning when you get up. Tonight, I'm going to see a victory. I'm the battle belongs to you, Lord. I'm going to see a victory until my wife and I have crosswords in the morning. Feeling. Feeling. That's why the enemy knows we're so susceptible to feeling. That's why he tries to imitate. That's why he tries to copy feeling. Because if you're going by feeling, you can be deceived. You're judging by miracles. Since I'm on it, I'll just go ahead. I think Moses, I think Moses came before Pharaoh with some confidence. He was thinking about what happened. That burning bush and throwing down that rod and putting his arm in his in his in his clothes and pulling it out and it's leprous, putting it back, pulling it out and it's whole. And, and I think he walked in there thinking, you, you better not mess with me. So he goes to show his first trick. He throws down his rod. It turns into a snake. I'm pretty sure he thought it was game over then. I'm pretty sure he thought Pharaoh was going to say, do whatever you want to do, Moses. Pharaoh didn't even flinch. I know the Bible doesn't say it. Just let me imagine it. I think Pharaoh just went. And all of a sudden, here comes his magicians. And they throw down their, their sticks. And they become serpents as well. You see, here's what a lot of people would have done in that situation. A lot of people, if they were Moses in that situation, they would have looked at Pharaoh's magicians and said, Whoa, you just did the same thing that I did. Let's join up and go start traveling together. <gasps> no. Because Moses understood, we may have just done something that looked the same, but the source, oh Lord, I, I, this, is a, this needs to be said on Sunday morning when there ain't no kids in here, so I remember what it was like coming to church with little ones and Bishop would say something and go, oh my God, we got to try to explain that on the way home. So now it's my turn to get to do that. I don't care how awesome the song is. The writing of a great song is not the validation of the person that wrote it. Over the years of those precious little ones, there's some songs we sing around here every now and then, some classic oldies that the guy wrote them lived in homosexual relationship. While he was writing those songs that are so awesome. Do you think just because it's a great song you're looking at on YouTube that the people that wrote it and the people that are singing it, they're, they're, they're okay just because they wrote a good song? I'll take it another step further. Let's bring it a little closer to home. Me preaching a message that's an absolute word of God is not a validation on who I am as a person. 
The gifts and calling of God are without repentance. It's kind of hard to ever get really puffed up when you just think about the fact when God got desperate enough, He spoke through a donkey. If I had a little different, if, if I was orange instead of gold, I'd use the Bible word. I don't use the Bible word. Some of y'all love reading the King James because you can say that word. Some of us, never mind, that's going to be flesh, so I will bite the tongue on that one. Preaching a word from God doesn't. I don't walk out of here thinking, "Boy, I got. I am. I'm the best thing since sliced bread." No, grace, mercy. So, back to the verses here. It says, "Whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders." And with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish, because they receive not the love of the truth that they should that they might be saved. And for this cause, the cause that they didn't receive a love of the truth, the love of the thing that preserved them, God Himself, not the devil. God would send a strong delusion so that they would believe a lie that they all might be damned who believe not the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. The Amplified says it this way, and then the lawless one, the Antichrist, will be revealed and the Lord Jesus will slay him with the breath of his mouth and bring him to an end by his appearing at his coming. The coming of the lawless one, the Antichrist, is through the activity and working of Satan and will be attended by great power and with all sorts of pretended miracles and signs and delusive marvels, all of them lying wonders, and by unlimited seduction to evil and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing, going to perdition, because they did not welcome the truth but refused to love it that they might be saved. Therefore, God sends sends upon them a misleading influence, a working of error, and a strong delusion to make them believe what is false, in order that all may be judged and condemned who did not believe in, who refused to adhere to, trust in, and rely on the truth, but instead took pleasure in unrighteousness. You know what? One of the biggest problems with being deceived is you don't know you're deceived. That's the problem with the person that's deceived. They, they don't know they're deceived. And, 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 and if it's strong delusion, you can't convince them they're deceived. There's a difference between not knowing, not understanding something versus being deceived. When you're binding deception that God allowed, you you can bind all you want to. Binding and loosing doesn't apply to God. 
because you didn't love what preserved you. Oh, you know, come on, Pastor. I just don't know about all this doctrine stuff. Is it really? I just, I just love the move of God. I just love the gifts of the Spirit. I, I just love the operation of the Spirit. I, I don't know about that. I don't know about that fence stuff. I don't know about all that stuff that confines me. You, you mean all that stuff that preserves you? The word delusion means fraudulence. It is a straying from orthodoxy or piety. Piety is religion. The root word is roving as a tramp. By implication, an imposter or misleader. God would send delusion and, 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 and you would become a rover. You know what, pastor, I'm all right, I'm on. I'm going to be a part of this church as long as what you're preaching I like. But because I don't love truth, if you start preaching what I don't like, I'm going to start roving. I'm going to start wandering till I can find what I like. And there has never been a day when it's easier to find what you like than today. Years ago, if you were a church hopper, you had to get in your car to hop. But now you don't ever have to leave your living room to be a church hopper. You don't have to leave your living room to find the, the man or the woman that's going to preach to you exactly what you want to hear. Who will tell you your truth the way you want your truth. The thing that preserves your loving kindness and your truth continually preserve me. John 8.31 Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on Him, If you continue in My word, then are you my disciples, indeed, that the lesson a couple of weeks ago in our last Oikos gathering was about continuing in the vein of fruitfulness, but the way you're fruitful is you abide. You remain. You stay in connection. You, you stay in fellowship with. He says, if you're my disciples, you continue in my word. You, you don't just show up someplace and have my word preached to you. Go on about your life, living it the way you want to live it, and you're my disciple. You know, we, well, we've, you know, for years now, and I've, I've used the term, I use it, I, I'll keep using it, but boy, disciples become the buzzword. You understand, in and of itself, a disciple is not a spiritual thing automatically. A disciple is a, that, that was a term they used. Not with regards to Jesus, it was, that was their term. You were a disciple of some teacher. Discipleship is not just listening, reading regularly. It's continuing in my word. 
living it out, letting it affect you in every aspect of your life. That's that's how you're my disciple. And he says this, and you will know the truth. You will know the truth. And the truth shall what? We're told in 2023 that the truth, according to what we believe the truth is, that it puts you in bondage. That's what people want to tell us. That's what some who have gone out from among us want to tell Why are you still living in that bondage? Truth doesn't bind you. Truth sets you free. Barnes Note says this about the truth making you free. The truth here means the Christian religion. Compare Galatians 3.1, Colossians 1.6. The doctrines of the true religion shall make you free. That is, it will free you from the slavery of evil passions, corrupt propensities, and groveling views. The condition of a sinner is that of a captive or a slave to sin. <laughs> that the world tells us we're the ones that are bound and they're free. Fine, if you're free, then go a week without your alcohol. Go a couple of months without your cigarettes. Stop taking your drugs every day if you're the one that's free and we're the ones that are bound. The condition of a sinner is that of a captive or of a slave to sin. He is one who serves and obeys the dictates of an evil heart and the promptings of an evil nature. Romans 6, 16, 17, you were the servants of sin. Romans 6, 19, you have yielded your member servants to iniquity. Romans, several places in the scripture, you are in the bond of iniquity. The effect of the gospel, the effect of the gospel is to break this hard bondage to sin and to set the sinner free. We learn from this that religion is not slavery or oppression. It is true freedom. The service of God is freedom from degrading vices and carnal propensities, from the slavery of passion and inordinate desires. It is a cheerful and delightful surrender of ourselves to Him whose yoke is easy and whose burden is light. You will know the truth. And the truth will set you free. When you try to live without truth as your preservative, you are bound. One of the biggest problems with being deceived is you don't know you're deceived. The trophies of the devil it's not the guy that's out living homeless tonight because gambling or alcohol or drugs has caused him to lose everything. That's not the trophies of hell. That's not the ones 
hell celebrates. Hell celebrates the ones that sit on seats like you're sitting on. Thinking they're okay because they have created their truth. Pastor, I just, you know, you just, I don't know. There's some of this stuff I'm just not sure about. And and, and there's a lot of other good people. They, they don't say it's necessary, and I'm, I'm not so sure you can, you can show me that in black and white in the Scripture. So, so what, are you, what are you interested in? Somebody that's going to let you live closer and closer to the edge? So that when, I said, so that when you fall, A righteous man falls. You and I are going to fall. It's a given. You're going to fall. We're not going to get it right. Paul said, the things that I should do, I don't do. And the things I shouldn't do, I find myself doing. It's going to be a battle until we die or we're raptured. One or the other. This, This flesh doesn't die. You may get it under control at sometimes more than others, but the moment you let it up, Let up on it. It's coming back. Because the carnal mind is an enemy against God. That's why the enemy wants you to think just because you still have struggles in your flesh that there's something wrong. There's nothing wrong. You're just a human being. Fast all you want to fast. Pray all you want to pray. You still have flesh. Flesh has weaknesses. the way it is. It's the way it's going to be. Oh, we, we want this, you know, show me, show me, show me, show me, show me. I don't know about this. I don't know about that. So you, 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 want, them, you, you want somebody to let you live on the edge so that when you fall, you fall over. I, I know I've used it numerous times. I'll keep using it. Put me at some place that's really high, hundreds, thousands of feet up in the air with an edge with a cliff. I don't, I don't care if there's a rail and a wall that comes up to my stomach. That's good enough for me. I said, I've mentioned this before, but the first time I ever went to Top Golf. Those of you that aren't familiar with Top Golf, it's it's entertainment. It's not real golf. But and they're they're they got they have a several floors. Is it raining too? Well, man, I'll just take my time. You don't want to leave in the rain, so. <laughs> and they they got several floors, and there's a growth, then there's a couple of level, levels, and 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 I've, I all my life is a. Since I was a kid, I've been going to to Severna Park Golf Center and the driving range there, and you hit balls, and and I have never one time stood there and hit a golf ball and fell forward. Never happened. I got up there, and we the first time I ever went, I think we were on the second floor, not even that high, but I'm standing there, and right over there is the edge and a net. It took me forever to get comfortable. Not one time have I ever done this and 
fallen in golf, never done it, but there's an edge. And there's a net. Why did they put a net there? That wasn't reassuring. Who needed the net? I, I want room to fall. That's why if you're dating, I, I've said it before, I'll keep saying, I understand that what we teach and preach in this church compared to not just the world, but again, compared to other Christians, I, I, I'm, I'm seeing pictures of couples getting engaged and, and, and engagement kissing pictures like they're married. I don't understand it. I don't get it. Pastor Wright, how come I got stuck at a church that doesn't think you should do that? I don't know. Go tear the fence down if you want. I don't mean to offend anybody or hurt anybody's feelings, but when you're now trying to hurry up and get married because you went too far, that's why the fence was there. So when Paul says it's good for a man not to touch a woman, and we say if you're dating, you shouldn't touch. I've said it before. I let the cat out the bag. I don't think there's one single couple that ever doesn't touch. Truth of the matter is, can y'all pause the recording? I do not want this on record. Truth of the matter is, I think if, you don't, if you're not struggling with touching, you don't need to be gauged. If you're not tempted to touch, you got the wrong person. So when we say you shouldn't touch, the hope is if we get the line far enough back, when, I'm just being honest, Hopefully next time we have made to be pure, all of this gets wiped from your mind. But when you decide, there's room to not commit fornication. I don't, I don't like where some fences have been put in my life any more than you like where they are in yours. I guess the benefit of being older is the fact you live long enough to realize, man, there's some great value to the fences. There's some great value to the truth that preserves, that protects, that keeps, that guards. The bottom line is this, in this world you shall have tribulation. Doesn't matter how spiritual you are, you will have tribulation. I don't, I'm not trying to add to any struggles they may have, but I, I'm not, brother and sister, favors. And I've scratched my head several times saying, God, what in the world? This precious family, these two precious kids have given their lives to missions, and he's having to sit trying to get help with his back? What in the world? It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter how committed you are. You're going to have tribulation. You're going to go through difficulties. There's going to be heartaches and pain. That's all a part of it. But there's a big difference between that 
And all the other garbage that you let in and suffer from because you decide, I don't like the fences. I don't like being hemmed in with truth. Another one of those things, I don't know if I should say, I've said it before and I'm going to say it again. I hope, you hear me, I hope, I mean this as sincerely as I can. I hope that when we get to heaven, we find out all you needed to do was accept the Lord Jesus as your personal Savior. I'm not being funny right now. I'm sorry, I'm not being funny. I hope when we get to heaven, Brother Barr, we find out you didn't have to live a separated lifestyle. I hope and pray that when we get to heaven, all these things that I as a pastor have taught, that I thought were in the Bible, I hope I get there and find out they weren't necessary. If I get to heaven, and there's ladies filling heaven in their pants, I'm not leaving. There's a bunch of people there that believed in the Trinity. I'm not leaving. There's only one other option. And if you are mad, if you get there and find out, then you probably aren't getting there. Because you don't deserve to get there with that kind of an attitude. Bottom line is, I'm concerned that it does take everything that we teach and preach. In fact, I'm just going to tell you to be real honest, sometimes I'm afraid it takes a little bit more. Because the frivolous way with which we treat some of this and the half-hearted way with which we commit to some of it, we better hope that we get there and we're covered by the blood. Withhold not thy tender mercies from me, O Lord. Let thy loving kindness and thy, thy, thy truth continually preserve me. No matter what the world tries to say and define as truth, I want your truth because that's what preserves me. No matter what Christians may decide to say is truth. I want your truth because your truth preserves me. I'm just going to say it again. I'm not here tonight preaching self-righteous attitude. I'm not here tonight preaching Phariseeism. Because you know what I believe your responsibility and my responsibility is? Every person that doesn't believe what we believe, especially those that profess to be Christians that don't believe what we believe, my hope is they're heading in the right direction. They may not be in the same position at this point, but hopefully they're moving in the right direction. And so I'm going to treat them with love and kindness and respect. And I'm going to stand in a group of preachers that pray to the Trinity and be respectful. Not be holier than thou, not be a Pharisee. Because my hope and prayer is that I'm moving in the right direction. Because if you think you've got it all down, you don't. 
We're still growing. We're still learning. We're still maturing. We're still developing. And if we want others to be patient with us for that, we should be patient with others. Thy truth, thy truth shall continually preserve me. Would you stand? I'm, I'm gonna. It's it's not even eight o'clock yet, so it's still relatively early. I want you to bow your head, close your eyes for a moment, if you would. I'm gonna give an altar call. I'm gonna give an altar call tonight to those that want to make a fresh commitment. That God, I want. I want Your truth. I want to be committed to your truth, the truth of your word because that's the only thing it's the only thing that's going to preserve me it's the only thing that's going to preserve my family that's the only thing that's going to preserve this congregation that's the, that's the only thing that's going to preserve the church is going to be the truth wonder if not only you would make a fresh commitment but but would you would you just make it your prayer tonight god give me a love god give me a love for truth i don't want to treat truth as some burden that i have to bear i don't want to look at truth as some some cumbersome thing that i have to put up with, that I have to tolerate. I want to love truth. I want to love truth because truth is what is going to continually preserve me. I want my family to love truth. I want my family to value truth because it's it's your loving kindness and it's your truth. We didn't get to where we are as a society. We didn't get to where we are as a nation accidentally. We got there because we wanted to change truth. We got there because we wanted to redefine truth. We we wanted to alter truth. We didn't like some of the inconveniences of truth. We... We didn't like some of the restrictions of truth and we tore down some fences not not realizing the consequences and more than the consequences to the initial group that took down the fence the consequences that would come in the future. Oh God. Help us tonight. Help us tonight. Help us to value the truth. Help us to cherish the truth. Help us to hold tightly to the truth because the truth is what's going to preserve us. A compromised truth, a half truth. That's not going to preserve us, God. 
That's not going to preserve us. It's got to be truth. It's got to be genuine, uncompromised truth. In the name of Jesus. I want truth, God, as defined by your word and your word alone. I don't want truth that's defined by popularity. I don't want truth that's based on trends. I don't want truth that's influenced by society, but I want truth that's based on your word, God. I want the truth of your word, God. That's what's going to protect. That's what's going to preserve. Like the psalmist, I want to hide your word in my heart. The word that is the lamp to my feet, the light to my path. In a world that's redefining truth, God, I want the truth of your word. In a world that says whatever your truth is, is okay. I, I want the truth of your word, God. In the name of Jesus. Preserve. I pray for truth to preserve every home. In this church, every family in this church, I, I pray for truth to preserve every man, every woman, every boy, every girl, every individual. Let truth, God, be what preserves them, Lord. In the name of Jesus. The name of Jesus. And all the things that draw me close. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Give me a love so strong. That I will not leave alone. Because you mean more to me than words. Could ever say in the name of Jesus. So I promise, Lord, I'll never walk away. I'll never walk away. Oh, yes, Lord. Give me a love. Give me a love for truth, Lord. And all the things that draw me. me a love for truth. Your word is truth. You are your word, so. When I love truth, I love you. And I can't love you without loving truth. In the name of Jesus. You mean more to me. You mean more. You mean more to me, Lord. So I promise, Lord. Preserve me. Preserve the next generation of this church with truth, God. 
in a world that's selling all kinds of lies, in a world that's trying to brainwash our children, I pray, God, that truth would preserve this next generation. In a world of chaos and confusion, in a world of increasing immorality, let truth preserve. Let truth preserve every child, Lord. In the name of Jesus, guard every heart, guard every mind, guard every spirit, Lord. In the name of Jesus. 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 Yes, Lord. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. In the name of Jesus, in the name.